And welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again this week. My name is Brian Constein. I am here with my co-host, Michael Rowland. Hello, hello. And as you can see, uh, we are thoroughly enjoying the first news article um, of the show. DQ is now officially open. And they are busy. It looks like people are excited to see them here. What a day to open. Beautiful day today. It's just warm out and it's a great day to go get ice cream and celebrate the new entry in town. Yeah, I believe I believe this is, in the, I think there's two important things that are connected to the opening of DQ. I believe it's officially summer now. <laughs> I think, I think I could be wrong, but I think it's officially summer. I think that's right. Close enough. Yeah. Um, and I think we officially become a city now. Right? Doesn't it? <laughs> we, we, we now have, you know, we have a grocery store, we have a Tim Hortons, we have DQ. Uh, we, have even, we even have a cannabis shop. Like, we have to be a city now, right? We've got everything we, a city yeah. needs. <laughs> like, come on. We're a city now. Welcome to the city of Penhold. Uh, so, yes, DQ is open. Um, looks like a warm weekend. So, uh, go out there, um, enjoy, enjoy a nice frosty beverage. Um, the other thing kind of connected with ice cream that we want to bring to your attention is the Penhold Museum, uh, Muse- Penhold and District Museum Society, I think it's official title. Uh, they're having their, their AGM on April 13th. And so, like I said, speaking of ice cream, these are the guys who are in charge of that $2 ice cream that you enjoy every weeknight. The, the classic ice cream shack. Yes. Most people in town know it. And if they don't, the first time they find out about it, it becomes a favorite pastime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Immediately it becomes the, the tradition. Yeah. Um, and I don't think DQ is going to be competing with their $2 ice cream. That's, no. that's probably not quite in their business plan for that. Yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think they fall in the same kind of pricing category. No, I don't think so. Uh, so yes, if, if, if so, if you've enjoyed their, their ice cream, uh, evenings that they have throughout the summer, um, or if you just want to help out with their, with their role in, in, uh, in town and, um, their preservation of the, the, the history of Penhold, um, you know, yeah, April 13th is, is the day to kind of get involved. Or, uh, if, if not to be on their board, at least go and find out. They're going to be talking on the agenda is the ice cream shack. So if you want to know what's going on with that, you know where to go now on April 13th. Uh, you can also go to their Facebook page for, for more information on the exact timing. I believe it's in the evening. Um, but if you go to the Penholden District Museum Society, you'll see all their, their details there and you can get involved with them. I'm sure they would appreciate that. All right. In other news... Um, provincially, uh, let's see here. Let's start with the fact that the circus is not coming to town this weekend. I'm so disappointed. Yeah. Last minute change. It was. Yep. (laughs) This is the political circus, of course, of the UCP leadership vote or leadership. What what are they calling it? The leadership review, something like that. Special general meeting, I think is the official. Yeah. But basically this is a referendum on, on Jason Kenney's leadership and whether or not the UCP want, wants him around or wants him around any longer. So initially that was going to be uh, an in-person event uh, on Saturday. And, and uh, it turns out that the, the Cambridge downtown or in, 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 in Red Deer, the, the, the constantly changing hotel, yeah. um, the, the Cambridge <laughs> only holds 2,000 people. And apparently 20,000 had registered to, to, to attend. Yeah, their, their earlier estimates didn't even come close. And then it just kept growing and growing. People were committing to come from all over the province for this. Yeah, this is 10 times the amount of people that showed up for the, the inaugural AGM of the UCP. <laughs> like, this is, is just insane. And so, unfortunately, that is not coming to town. 
Uh, instead, they've gone to an online format. And so now instead of voting in person, all UCP members are going to be allowed to vote. They're going to mail out the ballots and send, and, uh, and then you can send them back in if you're a registered, registered uh, UCP member. Uh, and so that you can expect those in the mail. Uh, I won't get too deep into that, but I know, I know Brian Jean wasn't too happy with, with that change. I, 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 I get it. I think there's a lot more, there's usually a lot more people who are kind of motivated to change than those who are just satisfied with the status quo. They're not going to make the travel into Red Deer. Yeah. So the people who show up are going to be likely to be the ones who are most driven for change. So this, this probably bodes well for Kenny, though in the end I've seen some 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 recent polls that still wouldn't make me sit too comfortably at night if I was him. No, no, it's he's still not a terribly popular person within within the conservative yeah, within, side within of his own party. Yeah, yeah. Don't even don't even look at the just general province wide, but look specifically at the UCP and polling is showing him at a pretty low rate of popularity it's not looking good yeah and, and yeah he's in full campaign mode um if you've been following him on on facebook he is or anywhere else twitter <laughs> right? or on the radio i've been hearing radio ads yeah. of his that are trying to promote all the wonderful things he did yep. so yeah he's campaigning as much as you would in any election mm -hmm. yeah no this is yeah this is this is this for him is 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 uh, kind of his, his political career at least at least for this moment who knows about next week <laughs> that's how things go in the politics but with this being switched to a mail-in ballot system we're going to be delayed a little bit before we have results yeah the results won't come in until may 18th so i think you have to get i think you have to get your ballot in on uh, before may 11th and then they are counting and releasing the um totals the next week so may 18th is the is the is the day we'll we'll know if the ucp want to change out their leadership and therefore basically change premiers and then we get to do this all over again within the next year, provincial wide, yeah, or province wide, <clears throat> and yeah, it's it's uh, like I said, the circus has not come to town. The circus though is still ongoing. <laughs> uh, it's it's a province wide one. Yeah. Uh, speaking of circuses, um, down in Calgary, they're they're having uh, some fun and games. <laughs> fun. <laughs> oh yeah, this this is this is kind of the the ridiculous story of the week. Uh, so. Down in Calgary, um, so uh, at least as at least as far as my kind of understanding goes, as I read the background on this, the uh, Calgary Police Service is kind of governed by the the Calgary Police Commission, and the, the police uh, the Calgary uh, Police Commission is, uh, I believe, ten uh, community members of Calgary and two councillors, something like that. Basically, it's kind of the civilian oversight um, for for the police service. Yeah, and this isn't this is I think I don't think this is uncommon. This is, I think this is how police and, and law enforcement usually uh, usually play out. Same with military. It's it's always civilian oversight. Um, but that police commission down in uh, down in Calgary decided they wanted to change uh, an, uh, an emblem on on the uniform of the police service that they that they had recently that police officers had recently put on their their uniform i think in the last couple of years um they wanted them to get rid of it in fact um one counselor um uh, uh Gian, or giancarlo cara so this is this is an elected counselor in in uh in calgary this is this is how he describes the patch all right i'm not telling you about the patch yet i'll, I'll tell you in a second but just try to imagine what this patch might be 
based on this description. All right. So here's here's a quote from from the Calgary counselor. It says, "What are we at or What we are asking here is that our police service not wear a known hate symbol whose origins are buried in hateful thoughts and hateful deeds when they serve the public." Must be wearing like, a swastika like, or something. Really, like, certainly, this is a known hate it's symbol. A hate symbol. Like, I, I can't believe the police service are doing this. Like, <laughs> this is on all the uniforms. Like, how, how can they, how can they be so egregious and so inconsiderate to, to wear hate symbols on on the police service? What we are actually talking about is the thin blue line emblem, and basically, it's it's a black and white um, Canadian flag with a thin blue line across it through through the middle of it. Yeah. A common symbol used it's used in the states, it's used in numerous places yeah. to as a police symbol. Yes. And the normal person's understanding of it is that this is to represent and honor those who have died in line of service. That's yeah. that's the general um, usage of this. And this police commission, they, they spent a year studying this. Oh, man. They spent a year studying this. And then last week, March 30th, I think, so a little over a week ago, they said, no, this is, we, we've apparently heard feedback from, from some certain people um, that this is, this makes them feel uncomfortable, that this makes them uh, feel afraid when they are, uh, when, when they have to interact with the police service in Calgary, when they see this black and white flag with a blue stripe through it. This this is uh, <laughs> this uh, I think it, it gets end up tying back to the whole Black Lives Matter and and to the protests that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, but when this when this came out, the police service or the the the, the Calgary police chief uh, Mark Newfeld um, says he himself said that um, um, that his members were incensed by this. Like you already like I, I I'm I, I'm at this point I would uh, I would not be eager to join the police service like even if even if I was driven in that that yeah. direction like their their perception and the way that the politics around them are handled is just egregious oh that's become a problem in numerous cities in the states big cities Canada seeing it in the big cities where they're having a hard time getting police officers because of the politics of it yep. and the perception the, that's been pushed by, at least by the media and by certain people in the public, people are afraid to be a police officer because that immediately kind of demonizes them. Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, unnecessarily. So like <clears throat> you, you can, you can go ahead and point it to bad apples, go ahead and do that. But there's no way you you can see that the police service overall is is this kind of corrupt body of of racist um, uh, thrill seekers or something like yeah. that like just it just it just it just is nonsense and so the fact that the, that the Calgary Police Commission would go along with with such a an opinion on on, on was was clearly used in in to to honor those that have actually given their lives for to protect uh, our, our country, our cities, our laws and enforce those laws is, is just, um, it's just mind boggling that you would be so, um, so swayed by the, by the kind of the emotions and, and, and the kind of societal and political mm -hmm. cultural pressures of the day to, to, to go this, this, this is like saying that you have to go along with the people who are arguing that the sky is purple. Like, 
and and you know if if you don't say that the sky is purple, you'll hurt their feelings or they'll or you make them feel uncomfortable. Like that's that's the that's that's the that's I think that's an ap- analogy here. You these are clearly not being used uh, for racist uh, racist per, or, uh, perceptions or this is not a hate symbol, um, and that's just the reality of it. And so for for those who can't recognize that reality, it doesn't mean anyone else has to go along with it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that, that the police commission and the police officers are, are, are pushing back against this. Um, this is something that they need, that they should stand up for. Um, and, and all, all the, all, all the best to them in that, in their, in their efforts to maintain this against such a, such a, a ridiculous and really insensitive move by, by politicians yeah. and, and a police commission. All right. The other, the other uh, kind of news on the national scale is that the federal budget has finally been released. I feel like this might be the first budget in a couple of years. Cause I think I'm pretty sure they skipped one recent or like their last one because of all, all the, all the pandemic stuff that, yeah, that could be, I don't recall anything last year. Yeah. I think it's at least been a couple or years. Or at least if it was, it was overshadowed by pandemic relief and a number of other things that kind of made the budget null and void anyway. Yeah. When, when you're spending that much money that fast, nah, we, <laughs> what's budget mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, we're, we're not tied to anything like that. Um, but no, the, the, when the federal budget uh, came out, um, I kind of get a chuckle out of the fact that CBC has like a whole lineup or a whole day associated, whole day of programming set to this. They even use the terms, uh, pre-show and post-show analysis or something like that the show is this this a sporting event for them apparently (laughs) it is uh yeah so that was in that the the show was the reading out of the budget by minister of finance christian christiana freeland um uh, and so yeah cbc had a whole apparently day of programming associated to this i think probably ctv probably had it too but i just i ended up reading on cbc um so yeah I, i found that Find that a bit humorous, <laughs> uh, and as you can, as 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 shouldn't be a surprise to to most people when you have a liberal slash NDP government in place, um, fiscal responsibility um, is nowhere to be found. Let the money flow, yeah. <laughs> or print in this case. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I, I I got printer. We're not having run out of ink yet. Let's keep going. Um, yeah, so the the federal uh, the twenty twenty two budget uh, uh, has now fifty six billion dollars in new spending over the next six years. Uh, this is this also includes another fifty two billion um, estimated uh, deficit um, over this next fiscal year. Oh, what's fifty two billion? Hey, it's nothing. No, especially hey, this <laughs> this has to be this. You have to contextualize this. Fifty two might seem like a lot. But remember, last year it was it was one hundred thirteen billion dollar deficit. Oh, we so, cut it down by like a third. Yeah, or yeah, pretty almost, close. Yeah, over half at least. Yeah. And so, like, we're doing really good. Like, <laughs> why? Are you, what are you criticizing me for overspending my budget by fifty billion dollars? <laughs> this is you have to see this in the context. We are doing really, really good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that fifty-two billion goes on top now of of a of a federal deficit now that's over one trillion dollars. 
Like we would like, yeah, I know. I'm just saying words at this point. Like it's nonsense. Yeah. We're talking, we're talking a number with 12 zeros after it. And it goes up by $400 million every day. That's, that's insane. Like, like, like I said, I'm talking gibberish, really. How many people live in Canada can't, right can't now? You can't think of that. What are we at for a population? About 37 million. So we're, we're under 40, under 40 million. And we're doing 400 million a day in debt. We're taking out debt at a rate of $10 a day per person, something more like than that. that per person in Canada. How long can that go on? Uh, yeah. Especially <laughs> that's, when, that's, when you consider the, the interest fees that are associated with it. So just, just a service, not, not the pay down the, 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 the principal as it were, but just the, just the, just the interest fees, the, what that that's costing $20 billion every year at the federal level. $20 billion goes to, to service fees. And then we're adding debt on top of that. So we're going to be adding service fees on top of that. And we're just, we're growing it. Yep. It's a never ending cycle. It, it's certainly a concerning spiral. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure cycle. I think we've hit the spiral oh, yeah, phase yeah. now. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're in, we're in the death spiral. Um, yep. Especially now, uh, especially when you think about, um, you know, when, when you have a debt that big, just, just picture how much difference it makes when, when, when say the interest rate goes up by just a 10th of a percent. Yeah. Like it's absurd amount. And so the, the, the interest rates, which are creeping up because now inflation has gone up. Yep. And so to kind of curb the, the spending, <laughs> you, you bring in, you raise up the interest rate, kind of slow down the spending and hopefully that pulls down interest or pulls down your, your inflation. But that also goes and attacks all those, all those loans you have out, all those debts. Yeah. The federal government's no different. Um, so yeah, it, that is, uh, should be definitely concerning. Um, for, for, for every Canadian, like that, that is, that is going to be what, what really does the, the dam long-term damage to, yeah. to, to, to the country. And I think just the scale of those numbers puts it into a realm where people just can't grasp it. No. But if you, if you pull yeah. that down, like scale it down to what an average person makes in a year and then talk to a like financial advisor, should I take out this much debt every year? <laughs> right. Immediately it's going to be no bad idea. We need to do something. We need to fix this before it falls apart. Yep. Scale that back up. Why is it okay on a federal level to just keep compounding this, keep growing this debt until what's going to happen? <laughs> I know. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't get what, why, the fiscal responsibility of say a family should be run on any different principles than, than, a, than a country. Yeah. Like, like really what, what is dramatically different to, to the, to that? Like the, the only thing is I, you know, you could, you could claim that the, the, the federal government has more, uh, you know, guaranteed income, <laughs> if yeah. anything else, but even that, you know, it, it, it can get to a point, especially with the way inflation is going. Um, that money that people are bringing in becomes less and less valuable yeah, and uh, becomes less and less um, 
you, you're going to see less and less uh, revenue or uh, less enough or less income from from the, the the populace from which to steal or I should say which from which to draw from <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about stealing later on but but uh, yeah when 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 the when the income levels start coming down the, the tax revenues are going to come down with it so it's it's uh, but yeah the principle should remain the same like especially at to this extent, like there's, there's just no reason to be this far off the yeah. trail. Um, and then they, they aren't even budgeting uh, a balance. They aren't, they don't even say that they're going to be balancing the budget in the next five years. Um, they're, they're, they're boasting that uh, by 2026, 27, they'll have the deficit, deficit uh, down to 8 billion a year. Uh, <laughs> which is, they're, which is bar- they're really not making an effort. No, they, yeah, this is, this is going, this is going, this is going to hurt. And I'm, I'm concerned that it might hurt sooner than later. Like at some point, you, all these services, you're not going to be able to fund them. You're going to be cutting yep. back on them. All these things that people are relying on, you're going to have to cut them. Um, we've seen this was happening with the, I think most recently, I'm going to say Greece comes to mind. Uh, all the austerity measures like you, mm. like yep. just like in your own, own, own home, if you go to a debt manager, or if you go to a debt uh, servicing um, company, someone who's, who's going to help you with the debt, he's going to chop up all your credit cards, and he's going and you're going to go through your budget line by line to see where you need to trim things out. You'll be living on rice and beans for a while, and you're not going to have all those amenities that you're used to having. Yeah, that's, and the, on a federal scale, that's really what's going to need to happen or end up happening yeah, is yeah. we're going to have to cut back all these extra services that they like doling out spending a lot of money on. Yeah. So along with the, with the budget being announced, uh, I'm sure as most of you all know by now, this is also the middle of tax season. Hopefully, you know, by now you're <laughs> yeah, not here's you're, your, here's you're your notice. Push, yeah, you're pushing the limits here. You might want to get on that before the end of this month. I was going to say April, what, April, April 30th? 30th, I believe is the deadline. Yeah. The, the caveat, though, I always get a, a kick out of as well. April 30th is, is the deadline if you owe the government money. Oh, yeah. That's, that's when your interest kind of will start kicking in if, if, you're, if, yeah. you're, or if you haven't kind of set up that, that payment or whatever. But, but if, you, if the, the government owes you money, they, they, they don't really care when you, when you put in your money or when you put in your tax return. Though if you, if you owe money, uh, if, if, if the government owes you money, you've probably put in your taxes by now. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so this is also tax season. And of course, as soon as that topic comes up, kind of along with the budget, there's a million opinions and a million and one complaints of that go along with that. Yeah, everybody loves to complain about ah, paying too much taxes, taxes, <laughs> theft. I don't want to pay this. <laughs> That's right. Um, and let me just first of all say yes, uh, I, I kind of sympathize with that uh, <laughs> perspective. Admittedly, this time of year, I take a little bit of a different mindset because I always get a tax return. Yeah, I always get money back at this time. I like to conveniently forget that I've been paying the money all throughout the year. And this just feels like a nice reward, but it is my money. Yes. So (laughs) yeah, that's, that's the thing. The government gets your money before you do. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's like, that could be a topic all on its own there. Like (laughs) how come I can't get my money first and then you can come get it. But anyways, um, so, so this got me, got me kind of thinking about, um, uh, about kind of how the taxes are set up. Um, across the provinces, across the the country, and and even here in Pendled. Now, I know a common complaint is is that Pendled has high property taxes. Yeah, 
And so I, I kind of want, I wanted to kind of take a look and try to understand that a little bit more. And the first, the first thing that to understand or that, that I came across is the first had to understand what a mill rate is. <laughs> they can't use something easy. They can't just give you a percentage or I know, something. Right? They call it a mill rate. Nobody really understands it. Like the average, average homeowner just pays their taxes. Yeah. Oh, I know. That's, that's, that's how, that's how I am. So what I'm telling you is information I've pretty, pretty much learned like in the last week or two. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I am one of those ones. If the system is, is kind of working, even though if I don't like the system, it's not worth my bother to try to get involved and try <laughs> to finagle or kind of fix it or try to mess with it. Um, we're kind of still going down the road. It's a bumpy road, but we're still making, we're doing something. <laughs> But uh, no, I got, so I try to get into the numbers a little bit. So mill rate. So the simplest way here is that you have percentages, which tells you how much of something um, out of a hundred. So you kind of break things down into hundred pieces. And if you ask for a percentage, it just tells you how many of those pieces of a hundred you get. Yep. With a mill rate, it just breaks <laughs> things down into a thousand pieces. And then it tells you how many things you get. Yeah. So if you want the mill rate, you simply divide your percent by another 10, by, by, by 10, uh, yeah, by a factor of 10. Yeah. So when you're looking at your mill rate on your property tax, just move that percentage, that decimal, decimal. point over to the left one. Yep. And then you've got your percentage. Your mill rate. You have your mill rate, right? If you've got your mill rate, oh, though, you, you take it, it and move it over one decimal point to your left. So then it's a smaller number. Yes. That's your percentage. Yes. <laughs> but they can't just call do well, a percentage. Yes. So, uh, so for example, in, in Penhold, the mill rate for the residential rate is 8.8. .8. If you were to put that into percentage, it would be 0.88. Yeah. So I follow along. So mill rate is 8.8. .8. So that's, that's, so basically what it's saying is that for every thousand dollars of property you own, you're paying $8 and 80 cents. That's what, that's what the mill rate means or 0.88%. Why the confusion? I don't know. Everything else in math is percentages. Yeah. All, all your income taxes, all your federal taxes, provincial taxes. I think everything else is in, is in percent form. This is in mill rate. Um, so yeah, penhold. So for every thousand dollars in property um, value that you are assessed, um, you are paying a mill rate of 8.8 .8, um, mills. Um, <laughs> And so obviously you can factor that up to whatever, um, whatever you owe. So you can basically take your value or the, the your property value times by 8.8 .8 and then divide by a thousand and you get your, you get your, um, tax bill essentially. Yeah. Um, so 8.8 .8 is the residential rate here. And then on top of that, um, uh, is a school requisition fee. I think it's called the Alberta school foundational fund, something silly like that. Yeah. Um, that every every problem or every every municipality has to collect this, um, and this one seems to be a little bit more steady in, in how it's applied. In Penhold, it comes out to two point seven three, so you have eight point eight um, uh, mill rate for your property, and then take that same property value that you have, and then times it again by the two point seven three, and then you combine those two numbers together, you get your full property rate. Yeah, or property uh, taxes. Tax. Yeah. And so in the end, it comes out to about 11 and a half mils or 1.15%. Um, so how does that compare across the board? So 11 and a half, remember that's, combi that's combined or 8.8 .8 plus the 2.7. So about 11 and a half. Um, 
Black Falls is 8.6 mils on the on the residential and 2.65 on the school. So it's fairly comparable. It's a little bit lower. Yeah. But it yeah, it's close. Um Sylvan Lake. <laughs> there's a very interesting 2.74 or sorry, 5.74 on the residential rate and then 2.6 on the on the school. I find that one surprisingly low. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll We'll kind of go over in a second. Um, Innisfail is six point six on the on on the residential compared to Penhold's eight point eight, and then two point six six on the the schools. Um, perhaps more comparable would be Bowden. They have both the same population ish, uh, if, I, if I recall. Um, theirs is at eight point six and a two point six five for the school. So again, a little bit lower, kind of right on par so with Blackfolds. Yeah, they're almost identical to Blackfolds. Um, uh, Three Hills is 9.78, so uh, uh, a tenth of a percent higher. <laughs> so they're pretty high. Yeah, and then a 2.61. And then Rimby, um, all combined, they're at 9.7. So that's that's residential and school. So they involved. roll it into one. Yeah, at least, at at least, least as far as I dug yeah. into it, yeah. Um, so, you know, Penhold's not, it's not an outlier. It's, it's certainly not a radical number. No, when you compare to places that are of a, relatively comparable size and kind of con configuration of town it's not that different no yeah this price slides it's 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 on the it's in the upper <clears throat> half for sure um perhaps even in the upper quarter but it doesn't look like there's a large range i think what if you dug into it and so like red deer's excuse me red deer's is 7.28 and a 2.6 i think what you see with these larger school or larger um centers larger um cities and towns is that they you'll if you went and compared all then went and compared their say their non-residential so let's say their business taxes you would see that there's a lot of variant or variation in there but also if you have a larger um, business tax base you can afford to go lower on your residential yeah and that's where penhold i we've kind of talked about this before i personally am happy to pay that premium to live in a small town that's not a big industrial base yeah when you bring in a big industrial base or a big commercial base, you've got a very different tax structure. You don't need to pull as much from your residents. Yeah, so you got a trade-off. But yeah. I don't want to live in a big place full of industrial and commercial. I like the small town atmosphere. So you pay a little bit more of a premium for that because yeah. obviously the tax base is limited here in Penhold. You basically have residents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, largely residential. and, and But yeah, the, the, the council certainly... <clears throat> seems to want to get a larger business base yeah. and ultimately there will be a larger provincial base or uh, residential base as well as, as the town expands. But yeah, it, it's so yeah, the, how much, how much of the kind of the, the municipal tax burden you can, you can kind of collect off of the, the businesses will impact how much they, the city or a town would have to collect from the residences. Um, Kind of an, another element is you have to fa factor in is how much or how many services are being provided by the town. Yeah. So you know you can spread out you can spread out the costs, but the other thing is is to kind of restrain your spending. And you know for for here that's that's always the question that the, a resident has to to wrestle with. If you're not happy with the the taxes in, in whatever place you live. <laughs> You have to deal with, okay, where do you want to cut? Yeah, what services are you looking at that you would consider cutting yep. in order to save that money? And it can't be small things because, like you say, it's distributed among all the residents. You yep. cut out $50,000 in the 
the budget that's not actually going to impact your taxes that much. No, no, I I should have looked up how much like the city collects <clears throat> a lot, like a, a decent amount of money. Like we're yeah. talking. I'm not gonna guess. I can't remember, um, but it was it was it's it's surprising how much money is collected for a town of less than four thousand people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's so. Penhold comes in uh, a little bit on the high end, but not off the charts no. when it comes to when it comes to taxes. And so yeah, factor that in with how much you're paying in taxes versus how much services you're getting. And if you don't like the taxes propose, you know, what kind of services you might want to see the cut come from, because that's how you, you can't magically make men, money disappear and still keep the same services. That's not how this works. Though, as we discussed, the federal government has a way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Municipalities aren't allowed to go into debt the way the federal government yeah. is. There's actually restrictions on that. So yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, there, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's certain places that actually like school boards, I think is another one that they, they're required to have a balanced budget. Um, as I was doing some research, Chile actually has balanced budget leg or legislation. Huh. So like the, the country of Chile, so they, they actually have to, they have to fit here, um, <clears throat> fit in fit all their expenditures inside the budget. I, I'm, I'm, I wonder if they've changed that a little bit with the last couple of years, um, since so many countries have, have blown out yeah. spending. Um, now when it comes to your income tax, um, the and this is what most people are dealing with now um, is is getting your is paying your income taxes. Um, we obviously pay both the, a federal rate and and a, and a provincial rate, and they're both basically taxed on that same income that you make. Yeah, it's not like you pay your federal that pays down and then you pay your provincial mm -hmm. based on the remaining. It's paid on your full income. So yeah, as as as, as, as I was understanding that, that's is like you're basically double taxing the same money yeah uh which doesn't seem right <laughs> but, um, but that's what they do uh and now both the feds and and the province have what's referred to as a as a progressive tax system and so basically that what that means is that as you earn more that those extra dollars are are taxed at a higher rate um no doubt this is probably most people are, are kind of either rolling their heads or going, yes, I know this. Move on. It's a, it's amazing how many people don't understand it though. Yeah, no, I most like I said, this most of the time I'm just, just tell me what I have to pay and let's be done with this kind of approach. But you like, you hear real stories and actually meet people who will say they turned down a raise because they would have made less. That's not how this works. <laughs> That's right. It's the That's dollars right. between those tax brackets are the ones that you pay that tax rate on. Mm -hmm. So if you're making let's look at the federal one. Yeah, if you're right. making between 50 and a hundred thousand dollars, you are paying 20% on what is above 50. Yeah, Anything so, below that you're paying the previous tax rate. If you make over a hundred thousand, you're only paying the next tax rate on the dollars above the hundred thousand. Yeah. So in that way, like, you, like I said, you hear those stories, people saying, oh, I'm, I don't want that raise because it pushes me just into the next tax bracket. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but if you go $2 into that tax bracket, you're only paying that on $2. Yes, this is <laughs> so, correct. So just for clarity there, I know that's a common misconception yes. of taxes, yeah. really common. Yeah, and so, yeah, if, if you, if, yeah, once you cross the threshold into a new <clears throat> tax bracket, it's not like your whole income is taxed at that yes. rate. It's only that amount that kind of gets over that amount. Uh, and in, into that new bracket, but nonetheless, you know, so uh, your first fifty thousand at the federal rate is taxed at fifteen percent. 
the all all the all the amount or the money you make between fifty and a hundred thousand, these are rough estimates, are is taxed at twenty twenty percent, hundred thousand to one hundred fifty five is at twenty six, and then the 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 upper uh, upper threshold is any any income over the two hundred twenty one thousand dollar mark is taxed at thirty three percent. So so at least on these on these rounded numbers, you can your 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 two hundred your two thousand let's see here two hundred twenty one thousands and first dollar. So as soon as you cross that 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 extra dollar into the next tax bra- tax bracket is 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 paying or is being charged at a higher tax rate. So, so a- above that amount, every third of that ex- oh, yeah, extra that income above that is going to the government. Yeah. Um, now at the province, provincial level, um, the, the scale moves from, from 10% at the low end up to 15% at the high end. That 10% is, uh, for the first 131,000, which I think is around the average, actually it's around the average income for, for all, oh. all of, all of Alberta. <laughs> I think so. Um, it might be a little bit high, but I've, I've seen other ones. I think it's some somewhere in that range. So and there's up until recently that 10% was a flat tax in Alberta. Across yeah, across so, all, all income levels. Yeah, so when they changed that in fairly recent history, they basically said anybody above the fairly average income would then be taxed at a slightly higher rate. Yeah. So they still kept it they went per, with the progressive tax rate, but they still kept it as as simple and as minimal as possible. Yeah, when you when you look at the other provinces, the Alberta the Ber- Alberta rates look the um most friendly, <laughs> let's yeah. put it that way. Um there are there are provinces that have lower um min- or the the first first tax tax bracket is lower as a percentage, but then it quickly climbs to a higher level uh, at lower income amounts. Yeah. But um but yeah, it used to be I think it changed in like 2015. I think that was an NDP swap. Um, so yeah, so, so basically the, the more money you make, the higher the taxes are going to be paid on those higher amounts of money. Now, like I said, there's so much conversation around taxes, so much emotion and complaints and and opinions. What I, what I kind of want to do, uh, for the, for the remainder of the show is just kind of, just kind of quickly go through maybe some, some principles, uh, by way to kind of discuss or talk about or think about taxes and tax policy. Um, now, what, what I'm going to go through is, is, is uh, the, the, the principles I'm going to go through come from a, a ministry in the States called Capital Ministries. And basically, these are people who run uh, the Bible studies for Congress. So believe it or not, there are actually Bible believing people in government. It just seems, <laughs> it seems like a, like, seems like more like Moss Eisley or anything else, but, <laughs> but, uh, but there are apparently still good people, uh, God fearing people in them and they have Bible studies. And so this is what, this is kind of the source material I'm getting from this. And so it comes from uh, a Christian perspective. Now I want to say two points on this before you kind of uh, tune it out, turn this, tune this out, because this is, you know, this is just, a uh, Christian Bible fundamentalist kind of thing. Two points. First, all belief systems have some sort of foundational beliefs. So whether or not you come from the Christian perspective or some other, uh, some other secular atheist perspective at the bottom, whenever you're talking about taxes, but on more broad scale, just moral ideas, you are going to be arguing from a set of foundational 
perspectives or foundational beliefs. And we can have certainly, I'm open to having good conversation. I want good conversations about those foundational beliefs, but let's at least recognize that we both have, we both have a kind of a, a perspective that we're starting from. Uh, and so having it just, this is the Christian perspective. And I don't think that discredits it uh, any more than say having a, a secular starting point. We, we can, we, we can hash out which one is better starting point, another episode perhaps, but let's say, let's at least say that, uh, that we have foundational views that we are starting from. We'll ha we'll, we'll talk about the differences on another show. The other thing is, I think we are still operating though within a common moral universe. And what I mean by this is that, uh, comparing, compare this to the physical universe. So some people believe that everything was created around us in, in you know, six days by God, 6,000 years ago. Some think God did this, uh, you know, many more millions of years ago. Some people think that the, the universe came into existence without any help at all. This is just good old random luck, maybe some evolutionary natural selection, but otherwise it's unguided. All those things, you know, like one of those could be true. In the end though, we are still stuck in the same physical universe. We recognize the universe around us. Exactly. And so to grab my analogy from earlier, wherever our, wherever we think the, the, the universe started, we can still both agree that the sky is blue because <laughs> we still exist in that same moral universe. How, whatever we want to attribute the, the existence to the universe, we can hash that out. But we, we can still, even with, that, even with those differences in place, we can still come to agreement because we live in a, in a common <clears throat> physical universe. And so we can come to agreement on what is in that physical universe. I think the moral, moral uh, laws work out the very similar ways. Um, there is, we, have, we have a common sense of, of the sanctity of life, the dignity of life. Um, we value honor over deceit. Uh, we value love over uh, hatred or apathy, um, there, there's, these, there's these common moral traits that we all can kind of point to. And whether we want to attribute those to God or to some other um, platonic realm out there, um, wherever, wherever, these, wherever these moral values come into being, however they came here, I think we both, we all live in that same moral universe. And I think as we go through these principles, I don't think these are going to be that radical. I don't yeah. think, I don't think, you know, I think you can understand them even if you come at them from a non-Christian perspective. So those are just two caveats at the beginning here um, before we get into it. Um, so the first, the first principle here, just to get this off the board, government has a right to tax you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the government, and uh, I'm speaking kind of idealistically here, <laughs> the government is actually there for our good and benefit. Like it, it, it provides uh, a common uh, service to everybody. In many cases, it, it looks after the police services, the courts, justice system, fire, um, public infrastructure, so like the roads. So everything that, that we kind of use in common, the government kind of looks after. Um, and you know, obviously in BC or in, in Canada, I should say, that goes all over the place. And you know, healthcare is, would be another thing that you could kind of throw in here. All these things are, are kind of designed to help us function as a society. Because otherwise, without that in place, you have to be the police. You are the one who has to now fight the, the fire at your house. Yeah. You become the judge and jury. Like all these, I don't think we want a society 
where everyone has to uh, kind of come up with their own laws and hopefully we're kind of in agreement, you want to kind of an outside, you want to kind of delegate that to a kind of a common realm of, of power. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what government, at least at least primarily what government is there to do, I think primarily is, is kind of the enforcement of, uh, or restraining of evil and, and, and the praising of good. And so in this case, they, they do provide a good, they do provide a service. And just like any other good or service, I think they are uh, rightfully entitled to being paid for that. Yeah. I, I don't think this is, I don't think it's too far of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. It needs. The costs need to be covered. They're providing a service for which there is a cost. So to cover that taxation is necessary. There's really, it's really hard to argue against that. It's pretty hard to argue that all taxation is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. You, you can't have that and have government. You can't have a functioning society without government. It's, it just isn't feasible. Yeah. Yeah. You can, it's some, this, the, no, again, who knows? You just print this money off now at the federal level. Um, but no, I, I think, yeah, the kind of this extreme kind of libertarian approach just does not work where, where you know, government does not deserve any taxes. Though that, I think I think I might be discrediting the libertarian view. I mean, yeah. that's more towards the anarchist kind of view. Yeah. But it's down that same road. <laughs> just taking it a step further. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you know, taxes in, them, in and of themselves are not theft. So that that I don't think that tagline applies. Now that does not mean that there can't be good and bad government, of course, um, or good or bad use of taxes. That's where we're going to get into. Yeah, and we've kind of got talked about that in the past before too. That there's lots of good that can and should be done, but sh it shouldn't necessarily be done by the government. Mm -hmm. And so when the government takes on more good, more services than they should, then the taxation gets higher, and then you start snowballing into the very high taxes, which is when people start talking about oh, taxes theft yeah. because they feel as though the taxes that they're paying are not providing the services they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, yeah. So that's kind of the, kind of the hidden premise inside this, this first one is that the government is there for our good. Yeah. Now that good though, as we've talked about is, is a limited good. So not all good has to be done by the government. And we've, we've talked about how there's these different spheres um, in this in this context here, the, the author uses the word institutes. So you have other institutes such as uh, the Institute of, of Family, of Marriage. Um, you have the different institutes uh, of commerce, so of businesses, mm -hmm. of the church. These are all different realms of authority that serve a particular purpose and they're really good at that. Yeah. And that's kind of what they were set up to do. The problem becomes though often is that when the government kind of starts to infringe upon those views, like we can, we can, we can run your business a little bit better than you can. Um, or, you know, let's, we, the government can think this is the way marriage should be. That's, that's not the role of government. The government has, has a defined purpose and it's in recognizing the good that these other realms are supposed to be doing that actually puts a limit on what government should be doing. Right. So when we're when we're looking at when we're looking at taxes and how the taxes are to be used, the question is: Are those taxes being used to infringe upon these other realms, or are they being used to to for the good of these other realms? I think that's going to be an important criteria. Is is this tax helping? the role of the family or the functioning of family, or is it trying to subvert it? Um, is this tax 
um, hindering a business to uh, create more employment, or is the or is the government trying to become the employer? The right, the, yeah. The government runs into problem when it tries to be one of these other realms. Same with same with all of them. It's when they do what they were designed to do that everything functions optimally. Yeah. So that's I think that's a, I think it's really important because you can we're going to look at uh, so this budget coming up uh, had uh, uh, plans for for paying for dental care for for people under certain tax brackets or tax income levels or sorry certain income levels. Right. Um, now you could say that's a good. Um, but is it a good that the government is responsible to provide? That's that's the that's something to keep in the back of your mind as we go through these other principles. So principle number one was the the government has a right to tax because the basically the government is there for our good and these taxes should be for our good or to help facilitate the government in functioning for our good. The second principle is private property, and this this is the idea that individuals are the ones who are the rightful owners and stewards and operators of their government of the of their property not government so when we're talking about who owns who's the primary owner um it's the it's the individual yeah and this is the this is you know if if and you agree with this if you believe in the the moral principle of do not steal if if you think that's true then you believe that you have the right to to owe private property because if it's say just the government loaning you that that property or the government giving you permission to have that property <laughs> Why? then it's not really theft from you because it's not really your property yeah um and i think i think this yeah this is this is important because if you think that the that property is uh is owned or given by the government or is owned or given by say just simply society in general um that's where you start to move in towards communism that yeah. where the, where the, where you have this kind of common pool and basically you as the individual will give you permission to run that piece of land but really it's not yours yeah it's it's for everybody that's basically what communism yeah that's a, that's that's the direction you're going to head into and there's i think there's two points i want to make under this principle of private property First, that that recognizing private property, um, and or basically recognizing that individuals own the property, argues against raising taxes or using taxes simply to redistribute wealth. Yeah, because then you'd essentially be taking from my property and giving that to somebody else. Correct. So that is that is theft. Yes. By definition, <laughs> that is theft. You are taking what is mine to give to another. Yep. And Not makes, to run a service for the good of all, but to give to exactly yes. another. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're talking about things like it's it's not theft if 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 the government is involved in things that are for the common good. Like I said, roads, police services, um, courts, pol- uh, fire departments, things like that. Canada again, healthcare is another another one. That's been, I think there's arguments against that, but anyways, we we see we see that there's a number of different things out there that provide a common service for everybody. Yeah. Um, now you might not use them all to the same level as, as the next person, but that's fine. It's, it's the idea is that they're there for everyone. But when you, when you, uh, the, what you end up, the, the difference though, is that so many services and funding that the government does now is aimed at particular groups of people or, or particular, um, segments of society. And again, there, there might be a good intention behind it, 
but it makes it is no different. It, it, it's no more moral to have the police go over to the millionaire's home and at gunpoint say, I need a hundred thousand dollars because your two neighbors are only making 25,000 a year. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's no moral difference between the police officer doing that and the government doing that. We, we just call one taxes and one extortion or something like that. Yeah. But fundamentally, I don't think there's a difference if it, you believe that you own yeah. your property. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, no, the government has complete right to do that because it's fundamentally their property. Uh, and so when you, when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at uh, how the government applies taxes and the different, so many different programs that are out there, I think we can, we can bring out the highlight highlighter and you can kind of look through that and, and circle and highlight, um, the, the programs that are for the common good and ones that might be for a more specific group. And I think that it would be a good way of assessing whether or not that taxes or those tax dollars are being used appropriately. Yeah. Um, and I think I just want to put a point on here is that this is, there's this notion that Robin Hood was this, <laughs> was this guy that went around and stole from the rich and gave to the poor. That, that's, that's, that's a common understanding of them. Yeah. The, it, it's always referred to that way. Right. Take from the rich and give to the poor. Exactly. That's missing a lot to the story. That's yeah. That's, that's <laughs> missing entirely. The what was actually going on with Robin Hood is that he was taking from the rich, the government actually. So you had the sheriff of Nottingham, yeah, King John. Where did they get their money from? The exorbitant taxes and, and corruption that they stole that money from the people. They yeah, they were overtaxing the poor to the point of outright destruction, poverty, yeah. poverty for unnecessary means and poor management. So yeah. So, so he was restoring order. <laughs> so basically, yeah. King John and, and Sheriff Nottingham had, had illegally or, or at least immorally taken the money that wasn't really theirs. They were rich. Yes, but they were illegally rich and enriched by taking from others. It's not like, uh, you know, Sheriff Nottingham had a, had a, <clears throat> had a nice side job, uh, uh, growing an apple orchard or something like that. Like that's not where he got his money from. Yeah. We, you can't take that and compare to today where everybody looks at the ultra wealthy who have formed a business that got them rich mm -hmm. and say, well, that's, that's a Robin hood scenario. We need to take from them because, because they are rich yep. and give to everybody else. It's, it's it not, doesn't work it's not the right analogy to use. No. Yeah. And so, yeah, Robin hood, if you, if you think Robin hood is about, Stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, it's not. <laughs> in fact, it, should, it, it, it reinforces this idea of private property. They were actually stealing from the, the lowly people, the, 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 the peasants, for their own enrichment. And so, so Robin Hood was basically returning what was stolen from them in the first yeah. place. He wasn't taking from people who had, who had legitimately earned and, and collected that wealth on their own. Um, so yeah, this isn't, that's, that's not what Robin Hood is about. So you've been, you've been, you've been disabused of that. <laughs> Um, now the other, uh, element under this private property principle is that, um, taking more taxes than is necessary is actually an unjustified taking of freedom. So oftentimes we just, I don't know, at least for in, in my, my thinking, you know, I, I, you might take my money, but at least, you know, I still have all the freedom. I still can, you know, have, have freedom of association, freedom of speech, um, freedom of travel, all, all these kind of things. But the when when taxes are taken at, at or whenever whenever taxes are taken 
there's a freedom lost because now that money that I could have chosen to spend however I wanted to is not is no longer an option for me. Um, so that you know, however much you know, just to pick a random number that that ten thousand dollar um, ten thousand dollars in taxes I'm giving to the government is no longer ten thousand dollars that I have the choice to spend whichever way I want. Yeah. Um, and so this here is I think should be just as a as a a, a thought in the back of uh, the government's head that whenever they're applying uh, putting in taxes or thinking of tax pol tax policy is that every dollar they take away from someone is taking away a little bit more of their freedom. Like it's not just an, it's not just another loony out of their pocket. It's yeah. not just a little bit, it's just a number in your dollar in your, in your bank account. This is a, this is a freedom issue. And I think it needs to be thought in that way. We, we, I think, cause you know, at least for, for many people, this, this idea of freedom is still preeminent <laughs> um, and still significant and it needs to be tied into the role of taxes and, and funds and, and, and money, property in general. Um, so, yeah, the uh, absorbing the taxes, any taxes reduce your freedom. All the more reason for why you should only, the government should only take as much as is required to fulfill its purposes. Yeah. Principle number three is proportionality. So for this uh, on this this principle here is that that, Government taxation should be just and proportional between all taxed individuals. And so in, in, in a free market society like we have, when we look at someone who's supremely wealthy, in vast majority of cases, um, the mafia excluded, notwithstanding, their, their economic success is usually due to their economic choices. They've made certain... Um, use of their money to to build something new to invest in something that has paid off yeah they've added value and got returned for it and and so and if and so let's see i'm, I'm thinking of the i'm thinking of objective uh, objections already down the road but i'll get to those in a second and so what this i think needs to to be this is i think this is really important is that because people have free choices in a, in a free market system a capitalist system is that they're earning the, that money legitimately. Like this, these are choices that people have made that have earned them money. Yeah. And all, and so as a result, all money should be taxed at the same rate. Why should, why should you punish someone for economic success? And here, I think, I think the, the easiest analogy is with sports. When, when, when you look at a player like Connor McDavid, I know you're not a big sports guy. <laughs> Means um, nothing to me. Wayne Gretzky. There you go. Okay, I know the name. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you know he's really good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Today, today, Connor McDavid. Me as Leaf fan, Austin Matthews. Um, but there, in in sports, you have uh, you have uh, um, athletes that are just supremely skilled at what they do, and so much of that has to do with how much time and effort and choices they made into it. So. If I were to play a game of hockey with Connor, McDa Connor McDavid, I have no right to say, okay, Connor, you have to skate or you have to play with one, one skate and half a stick. <laughs> like yeah. it might be fair, 
Like it'll level the playing field. But why should I? Why should he be punished? Because he took the, for years. the choices he's made yeah. to become that good. He put in the years, the effort, the training to become what he is. Why should he be pulled down to the level of those who have not had that success? Or at least have not chosen to make that success. Yeah. Like, like, that's what I mean. We're, 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 it's, so much of what we do is based upon the choices we make. Like you, you could probably program circles around Connor McDavid <laughs> he's, he's, while he's doing circles around you on the ice. Like, yeah. That's just how it goes. You've made the choice to be one skilled in one area. He's made the choice to be skilled in another. Yeah. And no more should you be be forced to come down to his level if he was to compete with you on on your uh, ex- level of expertise. Then he should come down to you when you guys play hockey. The, the, imagine sports being played like that. It just would be absurd. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'd just be playing to the lowest common skill level and like, that just sounds miserable. That principle needs to be applied to economics as well. Um, because people are skilled with money. I know, I know I'm not like, I'm, I, 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 I like to know where my money is. I'm not going to send it in, into any uncharted waters. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to take any risks with it. See, see, and that's the big one is the other thing is the risks these people have taken for something they believed would pay off. Yep. A lot of us aren't willing to take those risks. Mm-hmm. You look like, I like using Jeff Bezos as an example. I don't think he's a great person in a lot of <laughs> ways, but he's had great success because he took some very serious risks yep. in an industry he thought was going to succeed. I don't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. He definitely had the potential to fail dramatically. Like it could have been a huge yep. failure and he could have been bankrupt and destitute, but it paid off because he took the chance. He took a risk. Yep. And he worked hard at it, very, very hard at it. Yeah. So why should he be punished for that success when he did what he had to do? Yeah, yeah. They, this, he made he, he's made his money legitimately. You, it might seem like an obscene <clears throat> amount of money. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. But you have no entitlement to it. That's yeah. his. Yeah. He's, he's made it legally. You can argue whether it's moral or not. I think it is. I don't see, I don't, like, he's, he's not like he's killing people for it. Yeah. He's, he's done it through savvy business cho- uh, choices and risks. There's just some people are better with money <laughs> than others. This, I don't think this is a, a tremendous revelation. <laughs> yeah. And so, so relate, so tie this back to the progressive tax system. Why should, why should I, why should we punish people for making so much money? It's, it's, it's like, just like, why would we punish Connor McDavid for being such a good hockey player? Like, doesn't he know better? <laughs> or, or if, you know, if, if we could do this, shouldn't, shouldn't, why shouldn't we take talent from, from, uh, uh, from Connor McDavid and give it to everyone else? Like that's, that would be kind of how it would be if we could do that money. We're just able to do that. Yeah. We can just take some from him and just throw it out to everyone else. But just like we wouldn't do that with, with someone's sports talents, why would we do it with someone's economic talents? Why would we punish people for making uh, good economic choices and risks and punish them for that? We wouldn't do that in any other realm of, of, of skill or talent. Yeah. And yet we feel so, we feel good about this. This is the whole fair share yeah, motto. We, we like to throw that around. The, the billionaires need to pay their fair share. Well, if you're bringing in... 50,000 a year and you're paying a flat 10%, you are paying 5,000 in taxes. Yep. If you're bringing in a billion dollars a year and you're paying 10%, that is, what am I thinking here? 10 That's million. $10 million. Yeah. 
$10 million. They're paying their fair share of income earned. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's flat rate. That's, that's, that would be, I think that would be the most ethical tax system. Yeah. Um, now I'll just to throw a yeah, go for wrench it. in the thing here, but the one problem with that when it comes, especially to the ultra wealthy is a lot of them earn no income. They have loopholes in this and that's where I can see the arguments and I can see what we may need to find ways around that because a lot of them will use, basically use their money to work for them. So what they end up doing is they get it all under capital gains and capital gains we tax at a lower rate. And that's the, that's money gained from say that, your stock investments. Yeah, yeah. Investment earnings. So when you, if you buy a, a any item, like for, the, for some of the ultra wealth, you buy a painting for $2 million and then you sell it for 4 million, yep. you pay capital gains tax on the two extra million that you earned on top of your initial sure. investment. Capital gains in Canada, we tax at a half rate. Mm. So you pay capital gains tax, you pay at your tax rate at on 50% of the capital gain. So basically it's half the tax rate. And so a lot of the ultra wealthy, they're at a point in their life where they're not actually taking an income. So they're not paying out a salary. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. They're taking capital gains on their investments. Yeah, so they are getting, they are making money. Let's put it that way. So a flat tax on on, on, on all money made throughout a year. And like that's Yeah, a, and that, that so would not, solve that. Yeah, like I don't, yeah, I don't think... I think so many loopholes and, and we've complicated oh, yeah, it more than necessary of for course. sure. Like yeah. anybody who's done their taxes this year or otherwise, if you've actually done your own taxes or even watched your accountant or somebody do it, we've overcomplicated this so far. Like so when I go through the taxes and fill everything in, there's categories for everything. Yes. For in money in, money out, expense claims, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's just extremely complicated. But like you say, if we just did it as a flat, 10% of all money earned is taxable. Yes, you could have things for charitable donations or any, yeah. that type of stuff, but all these extra taxable categories and untaxable categories and things like capital gains that's at a different rate. And yep. that, that's where, yeah, that's where the ultra wealthy are finding the loopholes. Yeah. And loopholes are only made because of how many, how complicated the tax system is yeah. like that's, that's where, that's where they come from. If, if you keep it simple there, you can't create, there's no loopholes there. There's no gaps there. Yeah. There's no loopholes. If you have a flat 10% income tax rate, the only thing you call a loophole is probably illegal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, now I know, so I know we're getting a little long, but I want, I want to go, uh, I want to continue on this. There's another, there's another argument that's often made in relationship to this. Um, idea of, of proportionality is that, and, and the fact that, you know, some people are more talented and, and gifted and put in and make their economic choice and then they make money. But there's a certain realm of people who have this inherited wealth. Like they, they, they've just been born into it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, okay, we, let's take their money. They didn't really, it's not really earned by them. It's, we find their, it's not their economic choices that, that got them that money. Yeah. We find it unfair that they got that jump start in yes. their financial life. Yes. My, my argument against that, or uh, kind of against the fact that we still don't get their money, even if it is inherited money, um, is that I see, I, see, uh, I see that as kind of a relay race. If it can you just continue the, the, the sports analogy, as long as the playing field is level, all of us have, have racers, so to speak, that have come before us and handed off batons. 
and no one has a right to say I get his baton or his bag of money on, onto my into my lane because my racers didn't do as yeah, well as his. Yes, and so as long as the plane, as long as the the plane or the playing field is level. We, I don't think we need an equal starting point. And that's usually where it often is. Like everyone born into the world, we have to put them on the same, everyone has to have the same starting line. That's just, you can't do that unless you take their money at the very beginning. Like it's just not, it's not functional. And I don't think that it's, it's ethical. Like you said, the money that, that people inherit are made by choices of those people beforehand. And you know, you, you can get so far back and say some of those, that money was ill-gotten gain. I get it. Um, I don't see how you can punish the following generations, especially generations it, down the road. It really comes down to a sense of jealousy for, yes, for almost so. everybody who's, who's looking at that person that started out wealthy and complaining about it. They're also the same person that will say that they're trying to work hard so their children can have a better life. Yeah. So they're trying to do exactly what that person did. Yeah. What yeah. that person's parents did, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Some, they, the they want to yeah. provide better for their children than they had, but they don't like that that child got better from his parents. Yes. Yeah. So it's, grandparents are great. great grandparents. It, yeah. Like it's it. a sense of jealousy. We look yeah. around and we say, well, why can't we be as well off as that person? And I, I sympathize for those who have had a really hard life, mm -hmm. but that doesn't work. You mm -hmm. can't, you can't function society on that. No. And, and just as a kind of a follow up to that is that we've, I've been using these <clears> sports analogies. Um, you know, of a hockey and, and running races, but it's not so clean cut as that. It's not like everyone has to stay in their lane and is unaffected by everyone else. Oftentimes, like just think, just to think about how much your life is, has been changed by say the inventor of the phone or Jeff Bezos, you mm. might not like him, but I guarantee <sighs> your life has been made better because of what he has done. I currently have multiple packages shipping from Amazon. <laughs> like right. it's, yeah, we, a lot of people love to complain about these ultra wealthy, but they're providing something for our society yeah. in most cases. Yeah. They've, they've, they've it, created a service that a lot of people have valued. Yeah. And so there, there's, like I said, it's, it's not, not everyone is running. No one is running an isolated race. Yeah. And in, in many cases we're affecting one another. And oftentimes it's, it's the people who have gone, who, who we see super far ahead of us in, in kind of the, 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 the wealth race as it were are doing that. Because we've given them funds for a service they've thrown back at us. Yeah, and so let's let's not let's not bag on on the wealthy too much because I don't think you have to look too far to see where your life hasn't been improved by them. Yeah. So so I just want to quickly run through three benefits from this this pro, uh, uh, proportional tax rate or, or to be taxing people at a proportional level. So everyone gets paid or everyone taxed at the same rate. You see essentially what this, this principle is. Um, so just to quickly run through everyone, the first, first benefit is everyone pays their fair share. So, and this is truly their fair share. Everyone has, is equal before the tax law, as it were. <laughs> yeah. All, all, every single dollar that you've earned legally, morally is treated exactly the same. So that first hundred dollars you made is taxed at the same rate as the last hundred dollars you made. Yeah. So you're not looking at how much a person made. You're looking at you, for every dollar that you've earned, we get 10 cents or we get 15 cents, whatever the tax rate is. No money is and more. It doesn't, value yeah. It doesn't matter how much you made as long as from every dollar we get our portion. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the, the ultra wealthy are going to be paying an absolute amount that is way more than say the people at lower end. Yeah. 
So, you know, keep, keep a percentage, 10%. I don't, I don't know what the actual number should be. Um, but here, here kind of, this kind of fits into the second benefit is that the tax avenue or tax revenue actually increases. So if you have a progressive tax system, it becomes a disincentive for you to earn more money. You've mentioned this earlier. If I know that I'm going to be making more money, will put me it will, and the government's going to take more of that money from because it's the higher tax bracket. Uh, maybe I don't want to put in that effort to do that. Maybe I don't want to create that service or improve that service because it's going to it's going to cost me. I'm going to be paying more taxes. I'm already comfortable. Where yeah, I am. for the amount of effort you're going to put in, is it worth it? When the government, once you hit that amount, you're going to be losing 50% of your, yeah, right. your earnings. Is yeah. it worth it anymore? You've just lost the incentive to make that much. Yep. And so if, if everyone is at tax at the same rate, then the money that I'm earning that last hundred dollars, I still get to keep the same amount of it as my first hundred dollars. And so if you, and so this creates the incentive to, okay, well, if I, if I keep earning another hundred dollars, I'm just going to keep earn, getting that same amount back. And so as a result, no, no longer are, are my, am I considering the higher tax bracket if I want to improve my business or, or improve my service here. And so you, you get businesses that, that, you know, perhaps they can hire that extra person or they, or at least they're not, they don't feel so, the, the tax issue is not an issue or is not a thought to them now. Um, and so it actually becomes it removes the kind of this, these disincentives to, to earn more or to, and, and, you know, if you talk about loopholes, if, if you have less incentives, like higher tax brackets, people are not going to try to shift their money to bring them down into lower ones. You're not going to have as many people, you know, moving their money out of country into tax shelters. <laughs> yeah. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to get, avoid the higher taxes. If all money is taxed at the same rate, you're going to see businesses uh, spend more of that money improving their businesses, which will bring in more revenue for them. And so that 10% that you charged to that business last year, and now they were able to keep that, more, or keep that money, put it back into their business, and now they're earning another 20% more revenue. Guess what you've done with your taxes? Just, you've gone up by 20% yeah. and you've kept the same rate. But in so many ways, like, you're like when we looked at it, you know, when you're going from 15% at your low end up to 33% taxes, you, you can't say that's not in the back of someone's mind, but yeah. how much money they want to make. Why, why should that be that? I don't think that. And so as a result, people aren't let or are, are, are less incentivized to improve their business and therefore gain more re or more revenue, which could be taxed. By the government, yeah, everyone wins in the end if you if you tag or if you you find the appropriate um, tax point. This is if you want to look into it. This is known as the Laffer curve, uh, L A F F E R by Arthur Laffer. He's an economist for Ronald Reagan back in the 1980s. Um, if you find that 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 sweet spot, you you get the revenue you need as as a as a government, uh, but you still incentivize or at least people are not disincentivized to grow their businesses. Yeah, and so as businesses grow, as revenue grows, as people earn more income, you get the, the government can keep the same tax rate and still earn more revenue. So there's there's another benefit. Last one, everyone pays taxes, and this is I think uh, this is where a lot of people don't understand is that so many people, particularly on the on, on, on kind of the lower half of the income scale, actually don't pay 
much of the taxes, if at all. I'm more familiar with the, the Americans, uh, American system, or the numbers at least, but I don't think the Canadian one is, is much different. Because when, when at the lower ends, there's, there's so many um, tax benefits, um, government returns, government subsidies, that all the money that you are actually paying to the government is given back to you. And perhaps in the main cases, even more, you've actually made money from the government. Yeah. Um, but if everyone is paid the exact same rate... Or sorry, is every, if everyone is is is, is 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 required to pay the same tax rate, everyone chips in. Everyone is everyone feels the tax burden equally. Yeah. And now think about this when it comes to the voting booth. If you are someone who benefits actually from the tax system, like you actually don't pay any taxes at all because of all the government subsidies and 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 uh, and, and refunds and whatever you might have, are you going to vote? How are you? How is that going to impact your voting? When it comes to uh, the next election, are you going to vote for that person who's going to take away that 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 nice little tax well, thing you got going on? Yeah, and that's where I've talked about this before. Is you we we can't take thing government can't take things away once they've given this kind of service or this kind of offer of money or less taxes or anything. It's really hard to pull that back because, like you say, if somebody as a a voter currently gets all kinds of tax benefits from the government. They get, they pay no taxes. They get the child care benefit or the child government benefit stuff. They get every, all that stuff. And then there's a party that wants to go in and just kind of clean this up and take away all the unnecessary extra spending and flat tax. They're not going to vote for that person. Why would you You look at that and look at your bank account and say, yeah, that's not going to help me. So (laughs) the government's buying their vote. Yep. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh no, and you see that you see this so much on the short term. This is this is this is this is where perhaps the citizen has to change their mindset about what they think about the politician. Is they think they can send the politician off to Ottawa and he'll come back with bags of money for for his consist- constituency, and that has such and that, and that has such short term appeal, but I think it has such a long term consequence to how people vote and how I think you see government government. Uh, spending go up and up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think if everyone is, everyone is chipping in at the same proportional rate, uh, same flat rate, everyone ha- is, is voting with the same tax incentive. No one, no one is, is kind of benefiting from the tax system any more than the other guy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think this is a very interesting kind of thing to think about when you think about tax policy is how much it actually affects people's voting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it certainly has an impact. All right, so those are those are those are three benefits from from a flat tax. Oh, back to the principles. Um, principle number four, and our last one is personal productivity. So this here uh, recognizes that individuals experience uh, the most fulfillment, fulfillment and dignity through productive labor, and that a tax policy should use that innate human drive to its advantage. And so, so much now of our taxes are put towards entitlement systems um, and social safety nets. Yeah. And without, without any strings attached. Um, and again, some of these are done for, for good, good reasons. I'm not criticizing that. But I am looking at and concerned by the fact that these handouts... You, you have to recognize what it does to individuals 
it creates a population that is dependent upon them. Yeah. It creates a population that perhaps becoming dependent upon them uh, no longer has the drive to become a productive member. So you can see laziness come, get settled in. You get complacency. Um, you get this kind of deserving or entitled attitude. You know, the government should be keep, keep giving me this kind of money. I, it becomes a, instead of a, a helping hand, it becomes uh, an entitlement. Like I yeah. said, it becomes, this is what I deserve now. Uh, and this, this goes against and, and creates a population that no longer uh, serves and functions in that productive way. I think, which in which I think humans were, were designed and created to, to, or to, to live, you know, work is not, and labor is not a bad thing. <laughs> like if you, if you, if you come from the Christian perspective, um, work was not a result of the curse or a result of the fall. No, <laughs> this was instituted before that pre-fall Adam was still <laughs> expected to work. Yes. And so when, but when the government gives out these entitlements, it, it disincentivizes this natural drive of humans, uh, and, uh, to become productive working members of society. And the more and more people that, that become dependent upon that, uh, and kind of dependent upon that, those government handouts, that is going to have long-term consequences mm -hmm. for the population as a whole. Because over time, the more handouts you give out, there's going to be less and less people making the funds and the services that you get, that you have to tax to pay those people. And it does not have a, a long-term benefits for a, for a nation if it keeps doing that. So instead of entitlements, um, I think that the government is, is better served to use taxes uh, or at least the tax policies in the sense of, of in, uh, incentives towards good, the good, say, of the family or of the marriages or businesses. Right. So, for example, in this last budget or this, this, this recent budget, budget that we just talked about, um, there is a, there's a new um, savings program to allow um, families to save up tax or to create tax-free savings accounts building towards a, a down payment. So I think I forget what they're calling it. The first, first time home buyers savings account, something like that. This does not cost the, uh, this does not, this is, uh, this is a way of people keeping the money they already have. It's not money given out to these people. They still have to work. They yeah. still have to, to, to put the, put their own money into these savings accounts, but it gives them an incentive to do that. It, it actually uses tax policy to help them get that money saved up for that home. Again, going back to the private property thing, yeah. they recognize that it's good for people to have homes that have private property. This is, this is one way, this is, this is an example, I think of, of a tax policy helping out um, or providing for the good of families, providing for the good of, of you know, uh, or at least recognizing the good of private property um, through the tax policy. Yeah. Instead of handing them, handing a person money for, their down payment it allows them to save and the government forgoes their opportunity to take tax off of those savings yeah so it's yeah like you said it's it's not it's not removing the incentive to work no it's, it's actually money. increasing the incentive to work yeah you're saying well if you work and you save this money we won't tax it mm -hmm. we'll let you save that money up tax-free for your first home yeah you just have to earn it yeah, yeah, it makes it makes it makes it makes earning and 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 keeping your money and and buying that that first home more 
feasible. Yeah. It makes it easier. It's, and so, and that's, that's one way kind of on the flip side, I know the, the federal um, Senate in Canada is, is, is looking at, or is kind of working through a bill right now. It's only a bill to investigate uh, or to study um, guaranteed basic income. And they've run test programs on this. So, yeah. So, so just in case you didn't know, ba guaranteed basic income is basically the or government saying, we'll give you this much money every year. Yeah. Essentially, they give you the, the minimum amount to kind of survive on is what it, most of them outline some will go even lower it's just a basic amount that so that everybody has something yep. and then anything you earn above that to s kind of just add to it yeah um yeah and like i said they've done test programs of this all over the place i know ontario there was a town in ontario that did it a couple or a few years ago mm -hmm. might, actually might have been a while ago now 2017 or something but um they ran a test pilot program on this and I don't know the details of the results. It always it always comes out looking good on a small scale, <laughs> but you know, take, yeah, like no, we're yeah. This is this would be an enormous financial program. Yeah, and just think about what that does, though. It becomes just another huge entitlement. If you no longer have to work for that for that money, why why would you work? Like that's yeah. that's just how we function as as. As 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 humans in this fallen world, if 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 uh, if given the choice, we'll do nothing. Like I don't know, I don't know who doesn't enjoy. Or I guess there's some some people. Out you, there. You'll have the but very the, motivated yeah. people, but, but for, many... for yeah, I think for for the average Joe, he enjoys doing nothing. I enjoy it, you know. <laughs> That's what you know. It's what we do most evenings. We'll just you know sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Hopefully, that's after a day of actually productive labor, <laughs> but. If you if you give and give people a choice, you know, and this perhaps goes back to the jealousy of wealthy people. It's like, oh, they can just do go. I wish I had their money. Then I would have, wouldn't have to do anything. But they don't do nothing. That's how they case, got their money. Cases, yeah, especially not the inherited, but yeah, the people who actually earned and made that money. Um, and so yeah, you, so much of tax policy and, and the use of tax dollars goes towards this kind of disincentivizing element or disincentivizing nature and takes away this, this, I think, good and healthy drive of a, of a population driven to be productive. And when you do that, and when you take away that drive, there's, there's only, it's only a dead end at the end, or at the end of the road. The, the country will not survive that. It can't survive it on a fiscal level, but it's not even going to survive it on kind of a societal level. It's, it, it's just not going to pan out. You need, it's good and it needs to be recognized that 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 people work and labor um, to provide services and goods for everybody and for their own family like it, it, society moves forward as, as a group and the further and the more and more people that are kind of getting pulled along with it it's a drag on the whole society before it finally that the society was just gonna collapse yeah so those are you know if so you know around this budget time and tax season time I know there's a lot of different conversations complaints going on um, around taxes and, and, uh, and finances particularly when the government's involved I hope these principles have given you something to think about that uh, that the government has a right to taxes and the government's there for our good and, and you know that we should be funding that good that they do that you know individuals own private property not governments not society it's yours. Um, that taxation should be proportional. Everyone should be paying be paying the same same rate. Everyone should be involved in in, in carrying the tax burden. And then finally, 
the tax system needs to enhance personal and 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 uh, reinforce personal productivity. It needs to get people out there working. It should be incentivizing people to go out working, not just giving them money. Um, society in the long run, I think, I think in the long run will uh, will flourish if people are pr productive. And I hope all four of these I think play out. You know, uh, I think I'll, hopefully these four things have given you something to think about. And um, I don't know for for my two cents, I, this would be it at least gives me some framework to to think <laughs> through this ridiculous, complicated nature of taxes. But I think it also simplifies everything down too. There's just so many different perspectives. Hopefully this gives kind of an equal footing or at least a, a, a common starting point where we can start some, some fruitful discussion instead of those, those, those rants that we have on Facebook or, or, <laughs> or, or at the tavern or something like that, um, that we can actually think through there that there's, you know, there's some grounding principles that we can, can hopefully see government and encourage government to, to implement. Mm-hmm. All right, am I? I think I think I've, if if you listen this long again, I thank you. I know I think I say that almost at every show, <laughs> um, but but really it is. You know, if we're talking about the things that uh, that are important, time is one of them. In fact, you can earn more money. Time you don't get back. So appreciate <laughs> the time you have given to us uh, and, and and kind of listening to us um, talk through some of these these issues. Hopefully, hopefully you found them um, encouraging. Uh, perhaps educational, uh, thoughtful, thought-provoking. Thank you for, for spending uh, spending your time with us. My name is Brian Constein. And I'm Michael Rowland. And this has been Penhold Talk Radio. Mm -hmm.